Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be back. I'm glad to see you're back. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Let's start with this. It may be uh, somewhat philosophical, but I always think when I turn to you for uh, words of philosophy when it comes to certain events, uh, they're very worthwhile, and it gives tremendous content to parents and grandparents that they can transmit tonight at the Shabbos table or anytime they see their children and grandchildren. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to really transmit some important messages. You see what happened yesterday uh, in Jerusalem, World Holocaust Forum, and all the world leaders that are gathered, and plenty with some very fascinating things to say and some speeches that, frankly, were really inspiring. Um, and you think back, you know, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 years ago, uh, and how different the world is uh, for the Jewish community and those who care about Israel at this point. What were your thoughts thinking what our prior generations would have said about a gathering like yesterday in Jerusalem? I thought about it a great deal during the ceremony, and I have to admit I was a, a skeptic about it. I did not anticipate that it would be the tremendous gathering. Originally, they had thought that 10 or 12 leaders might attend, and as you saw, there were 49, um, many kings, presidents, um, excellencies of all kinds that came, and it was in a sense surreal. When you think about 75 years ago, these were all countries that remained silent or largely silent, uh, some of them collaborators with the Nazis, coming together, getting up in front of the world and declaring never again, declaring, as the president of Germany did, that they have not yet learned the lesson, um, to see the, the um, uh, at Auschwitz itself, Muhammad Ali said, the head of the World Muslim League and 25 Muslim leaders, um, praying and bending down at Auschwitz, the, the, um, uh, the statements made by, by the vice president of the United States and, and others, uh, Putin, uh, you know, they'd also dedicated a memorial to Russian soldiers earlier. Right. But uh, every speech at least had the content. Each had their own particular coloration to it. But it's, it, I think it's, was, it was really quite remarkable and a reminder that, uh, you know, the information was available long before the liberation of Auschwitz, that the first camp was uh, Maidanic, and the, they, they refused to release the information on it, and, and in Stotthof in France, uh, that they didn't want, they feared the reaction of the families, they said, who, who were looking for lost ones. Mm. And it was, it was Ike at, at uh, Orndorf at Buchenwald who, who lifted the, uh, the censorship in April of 45. But the, the fact is that the um, uh, real story w- was not told. They tried to cover it. Even after the fact, I mean, after the deliberation, uh, the debates over why they didn't bomb the railroads and so many other things that lingered till today. But I think the bottom line is that this was an incredible event. Think about the fact that they all gathered in Yerushalayim. Unbelievable. That it was an acknowledgement of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the Jewish people. That they... Um, attended, many of them, Macron, others went to the Kotel, the first French leader, I think in 20 years, they said. I mean, there are a lot of side things. Prince Charles, the first 
official visit by a member of the royal family. He, he, I sat next to him when he attended the Perez funeral and reminded him about his grandmother's grave, and, and he actually went as a result to see it then. But he went now, this time, an official visit. Many, Each one is a story unto itself, but I think one has to sit back and, and say that it was a really remarkable event. And there's another one coming up on the 27th in Auschwitz itself, where I think another dozen or 15 heads of state will be present. It's... Um, you know, of course, it raises many mixed feelings. Some of the people who who, who got up, but the um, but overall, I have to say that it was really an historic event. The um, and by the way, just I, I have to add to what you just said about uh, uh, the the controversy or the you know the uh, revelation that information was available way before it actually became uh, widespread and uh, widely available uh, to the world. Uh, anybody who pays really close attention to the news now. Uh, you know, today in 2020, uh, we have the same type of situation in in many parts of the world where where things are going on and people are being massacred and uh, and uh, and um, uh, completely threatened, and we don't hear much about it. It's one of the things you and I discuss almost on a weekly basis. Has so many important things that the whole world should know about and that the media should be covering is completely hidden or no one has any interest in it. So people shouldn't think that this is something of that era. And today, and today in 2020, you know, everything's available because of the social media and the atmosphere that we're in. There's still plenty out there going on that's hidden from us or that really just nobody cares about uh, to report about. Well, if one looks just at the news of the last couple of days and you see the stories that came out about the uh, poll of, of uh, the French jury where – I don't know, kids 18 to 35, young French Jews, 70% or more say they have experienced an anti-Semitic incident assault against them, uh, that the numbers are astounding when you look at the um, at the polls, at this study, this particular study, uh, that the, the number of incidents that average Jews of all ages uh, uh, experience. And we saw the release of a study that showed that uh, studying uh, syllabi at 40 public and private colleges and universities showed that uh, BDS-supporting teachers had an average of 78% of their course readings authored by BDS supporters. Wow. As opposed to 17% of those who are not. And, and um, you see that only two out of 35 syllabi of non-BDS-supporting instructors had a majority of their course readings by BDS supporters. And the the uh, as opposed to the uh, other group, which had overwhelming material. So we're educating a generation with lies, distortions, people uh, reinforcing their own findings, their own beliefs, bias, and and at the same time, the PA uh, tells the um, the world that the uh, Western Wall. The Kotel is belongs to Muslims and only to Muslims, and since the, and said there's nothing Jewish about it, and there was never anything Jewish. I mean, to engage in that kind of denial while the world leaders are standing there <laughs> in Jerusalem, uh, the the uh, see the statements by the Ayatollah about crushing America and and the threats, um, uh, and including by the the uh, at, um, the preacher at the Alaska Mosque. I don't know why he's allowed to do it, but he said we will soon establish the caliphate, liberate Jerusalem, and conquer Rome, which means the Christians as well. So I think that, that you know there are a lot of conflicting things happening that that uh, go against the uh, 
the tone of yesterday right. should not mitigate the importance of yesterday, right. but the real test is how do they translate it. And the fact that Italy and um, another country, Italy and Sweden, have now come out and adopted the Holocaust definition, uh, which may not seem significant to people, but it does have specific references to defamation of Israel or denial of um, the Jewish connection in, in the definition. It's a working definition, not simply a statement that anti-Semitism is a bad thing. Right, understood. Uh, two more quick things about yesterday. You did mention there's a lot of little pieces to it, and and, and there are, and i got to uh, emphasize a couple of them. I mean, the, you, you see the vice president, and I don't, know, I don't know where the president found this guy, but the, but this vice president's amazing. <laughs> uh, I mean, he gets up, and he, and, he, and he teaches the world, you know, Devarim Lamed Aleph, that there's a commitment from God that he will never leave us or forsake us. For our audience, I'll say, lo yaprachav, lo yazveka. And that he would lead this people to inherit the land that he swore to your ancestors that he would give them. And today, the vice president says, as we bear witness to the strength and the resilience and the faith of the Jewish people, so too we bear witness to God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. There are plenty of Jewish leaders, Malcolm, who would not deliver this message in a forum like that. Uh, or in any other form, for yeah, matter, exactly. But, but to me, what was also interesting was listening to the audience reaction to it. Uh, mixed, if you saw the cameras, uh, and the uh, the the leaders, they didn't, necess- didn't applaud, but the people in the audience clearly did. And um, so, some people appreciated the biblical reference of God's promise to the Jewish people, and others did not. Uh, or, or didn't endorse it. Maybe. Right. Interesting. And secondly, I mean, I'm sure you saw this. I mean, Rabbi Lau getting up and saying he is not authorized and never was authorized to forgive, and he certainly is not authorized to forget. And there were so many other amazing messages in his speech. I, I'm sure you found that uh, extremely, extremely emotional as well. Well, I've been with him in Auschwitz uh, several times, and I, he, he did make that reference then as well. It's a very powerful uh, message, yeah. and but but also the the message was echoed in a way by the German president and others who said, well, because of what's happening today, we cannot forget, for no other reason, the memory of the people. Yes, but also because of what, and they tied it directly to the rise of anti-Semitism right. in the in the world. Maybe if people seventy five, eighty five years ago would have spoken up about it, who knows? Maybe. The outcome might have been different. They would have had to act on it as well. But you have to put this into context to to get the real impact, the full impact of, of what took place. Unbelievable. How different the world is now. It's just, a, And in the blink of an eye, in terms of how history works, just incredible. Um, all right. One of the things that happened yesterday, I, I think it was yesterday, was the uh, this meeting between uh, Vladimir Putin and the mother of Namar Issachar. Malcolm, can you break down this situation? I know she was arrested. I know there's a drug charge, etc. And obviously it seems that all of Israel and the media is just completely focused on her case, reminiscent of the Gilad Shalit reaction, frankly, the way the way country is reacting to her uh, and, and desperate for her to be released from Russia. Is she being held because of something that Putin expects in exchange, or is there something that's, you know, that, that, that's unfair about the sentence that's been handed down? Could you break this down for us? Well, it certainly seems to be unfair, and I think she's such a sympathetic figure and that her parents uh, really campaigned effectively, and um, it's way disproportionate. They found a small amount of drugs that was in her suitcase. She wasn't staying in Russia. She was just 
at, at transferring planes and uh, was arrested. So the you know the logic of it is it escapes a lot of people why why they would um, do that or a slap on the wrist or you know you hold her overnight and then release her. So the feeling is that they, that they wanted to trade for something or they wanted something for it. Uh, Putin himself has been approached by the prime minister many many times on it. And we've approached the Russian officials on it, and um, they reaffirmed her sentence in the courts. Hmm. But Putin assured his mother that everything will work out. And now today they're saying that she didn't apply for um, official pardon. For I don't know if it's pardon or or the measure necessary to be released uh, or early release. So I don't know whether they're again playing games with this, whether there's um, some trade that they want and that could be done quietly. But obviously the prime minister has talked about it. The fact that the Putin met with the mother was a rather remarkable event. Yeah, the whole thing is so So strange. it doesn't, it, it all doesn't hang well easily. It doesn't come together as to the rationale, and especially when Russia and Israel have been on generally good relations. It's really hurt Russia's image in Israel. Uh, hopefully she'll, she'll get out, and I think she will in the, in the coming days. And if I asked you what could he want, meaning Putin, we have no idea, right? We have no clue what he might be asking for as a uh, as a bargaining chip for her or in exchange for her. I don't think anybody can figure out most of the things in advance. He's a very shrewd guy, smart. Yeah. He gets his way by and large, with minimal capacity. He has a, a limited economy, limited military, and yet he has created new facts in Crimea, and Syria, elsewhere. He's um, and he's taken really total control. We'll have to see what happens now with the, the new, the supposedly his term is up and what the new arrangement will be. Right. And while, I mean, over the last couple of weeks since we last spoke, he, I mean, there's been a complete disillusion of the Russian government at this point, right? Essentially. I mean, everyone's left. It, well, everybody left, but he appointed some people. That, I mean, the government runs, but it's him. He's the government. Right. So, so I don't all even those, know if they noticed that there's so, no one else there. Rob, I was just going to say, so all the resignations that I saw essentially were irrelevant. I mean, in terms of the Russian government, you know, operating. Mm-hmm. Wow. By the way, you didn't mention that the vice president, like Bibi, also singled out Iran right. for condemnation, specific right. condemnation. And we'll talk about it, but the but I thought that was also an important statement to, to draw the link and say that, that this is not just something of the past, this hatred. We see it being promulgated. You know that, the, that Rouhani, the president, um, passed a law now that textbooks have to reflect U.S. crimes and conspiracies. Wow. Says it all. Talk, yeah, that says it all. And talk about uh, talk about influencing and uh, uh, you know making sure to um, uh, to uh, feed young people uh, right. as much perpetuate the hatred. <laughs> exactly, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll do Iran and Lebanon coming up. I want to do the peace plan first. So it, it seems that there is a peace plan uh, that the President of the United States and his staff have finally, I guess, uh, you know, put together as a peace plan package. Um, uh, he, he has invited uh, the two major candidates, the current prime minister and his opponent, to be in Washington. This, If I'm saying it, if I'm giving any wrong information, Malcolm, correct me, I'm sure you will, but I believe it's this Tuesday. They're invited to Washington for the, I guess, official unveiling of this, although it seems that 
there's been plenty of leaks and plenty of um, uh, spe- speculation and or facts uh, presented by the media already in terms of what's in this peace plan. What can you tell us about what the president is proposing? So uh, it is on Tuesday, and it was Netanyahu who suggested and urged that they invite Gantz, I guess, to depoliticize it, and especially coming, you know, a month before an election in Israel. They didn't want to make it look like this was a bid by Trump to, you know, bolster Bibi's uh, polls. So I think it was very clever to invite uh, Gantz along. Uh, on the one hand, I mean, I'm sure the political pundits will say it's risky because they you know, putting him on the national stage as well um, as an equivalent to the prime minister, which could bolster Gantz's, uh, the image. image. Uh, but on the other hand, it, BB will still be the prime player, so it's, it sort of puts him in a junior position. It'll be interesting to see how, the, how it plays out, how it's manifested uh, during the visit. So the, uh, there was a lot of expectations that Jared Cash, Jared um, Kushner was on his way to Israel, but because of from Davos in Switzerland, uh, but the um, the weather prevented the plane from taking off, so he went back to Washington. There was there were thoughts that he would or they would reveal it while uh, during the um, visit, uh, but I think that that was unlikely. That it has to be done in Washington. Things have leaked, but nobody knows today whether all of this is true, that it gives Israel all of Jerusalem and settlements that the, you know, the Palestinians have already rejected it without having seen it and still refuse to negotiate with this government so that it might well lead to, and you know, that the um, uh, Americans asked Israel not to annex uh, the Jordan Valley or anything else until after the peace plan comes out. Because it may be anticipating the Palestinian rejection, they will say, okay, you know, the green light is there for you to do what you want to do or some of the things that you want to do. The, the reports ranged from um, saying that the old city was included with some symbolic Palestinian representation, that, um, that the United States would uh, support annexing settlements if the Palestinians rejected it outright. And Palestinians only get statehood if Gaza is demilitarized, Hamas gives up its weapons, and they recognize, the Palestinians recognize Israel as a Jewish state with Jerusalem as the capital, something I doubt that any Palestinian leader would, would do. And uh, there's also talk of Israeli sovereignty in the, most of the West Bank settlements, I think all but about 15 in Yudin and Shamron would be, um, uh, would be, be included, and they would be territorially contiguous. And again, you know, this is speculation. I want people to say that this is, that I'm telling you that this is what's in it. I've not read the document. Um, the Israeli security demands are supposedly addressed, it, and this Israel security control of the Jordan Valley, um, and no Palestinian role in the border controls. All of these are, if, if that was the deal, Israel, I think, would jump at it. It would be the best deal ever offered to them. Uh, but we'll have to see, and, and we don't know if they will actually reveal it. I think it's likely that he may do it even before oh, they uh, get there. Netanyahu and Gantz get there. Hmm. But the um, you know members of Congress and others haven't been informed, so there's uh, there will be a lot of work to do. Um, but as Netanyahu's uh, indicated, you know we have uh, such a friendly government, people unprecedented in their outreach to Israel on many issues. And that it, they want to take advantage of it.
What is the value of releasing a plan that you know the other side is not even is not even going to consider? Uh, you know, one one that's so heavily in favor of the Israeli position. Because it, it says to the world, uh, you see now who's the obstacle to peace that they wouldn't even consider it. They won't sit down. We, we're ready to negotiate on the basis of this. That the uh, and then give a green light to Israel to take some steps, saying, look, you don't have a partner, you've got to do whatever you have to do to shore up your security and to, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe firm up the borders or other uh, arrangements. Did you always know it was going in this direction? Did you, did you fear, like many of us did, that you know, he would use the opportunity, like many presidents have, to you know, throw Israel under the bus and arrange for a deal or propose one that would be detrimental to Israel in the long run? I did not. Uh, that wouldn't be consistent with the, the record administration till now. Uh, and I think a deal like that would meet a lot of objections in Congress and elsewhere. And you saw that, by the way, Nancy Pelosi led a delegation, a bipartisan delegation, to, to the um, ceremony and went to Auschwitz first. Um, so I, I did not anticipate, and I didn't think with the crew that's there, Pompeo, um, Jared, um, uh, well, earlier Bolton, but the, the, the president and uh, Pence, um, I did not think that they would uh, concoct something that would be uh, detrimental to Israel. And bringing Gantz along, does that really depoliticize it, or is that just a, you know, BB is so smart when it comes to uh, uh, diplomacy and when it comes to the uh, visual um, you know, at events like this, that if, if, if Gantz isn't there, okay, you know, I'll play it this way and it'll be to my advantage. If he is there, I'll play it this way and it'll be to my advantage. As you indicated before, he, he's going to look like a junior partner, and this may be the best thing for Netanyahu, who has his bases covered, because, hey, I we brought along the, you know, the chief opponent. But the, secondly, you know, Trump's going to treat BB most likely as, the, as King BB compared to his opponent. Yeah, that's what I said before, that he will be the more prominent party it makes puts Gantz in a junior position but on the other hand puts him on the in the center of the action world stage no. but i think it's a more important message to the people back home that the that bb is not exploiting it it's not a, a political move even though coming a month before the election it's, everything is political um and that by bringing he diffuses it by bringing Gantz along ironically uh if i have this correct uh ironically uh, Bibi's trial or hearing is going to be taking place at the same time that he's going to be in Washington. Right. Um, and this gives him, I guess, an opportunity to uh, um, to take that out of the headlines and make this the headlines in Israel. Although I don't, I don't know if the media is going to cooperate with that, frankly. <laughs> but but you'd have to think that his visit to Washington is going to be a bigger story than what's happening in the courtroom in Jerusalem. Uh, yes, and there are people who have speculated that it's meant to to deflect attention, but, you know, it, it, it's not a decision he made alone. You need a, a president to go along with it. Um, I think Ron Dermer played a big role in in concocting this uh, over the, you know, uh, last period. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We don't have to wait long. Yeah, that's true. Just a few days. Um, we, have to, we have to wait a little bit longer in terms of the election and who is going to win that race. Uh, anything that's gone on over the last couple of weeks in the machinations of forming the parties and alliances in Israel that has surprised you? Is there anything as we go into this you know, heavier election season now, um, which is any different than you know what happened the second time around, election number two in Israel? 
There's nothing in Israel that surprises me anymore, and, and you can't anticipate anything happening. Um, I think that the uh, that the coalition of the left may do better than people think. Oh boy! Uh, and that the coalition of the right is not impressing people. That that is my sense, and. Um, uh, so there could be a shift there, but I don't know that any of that is decisive. I think everybody says the two parties remain more or less the same, blue and white, picked up some. Uh, but as you said, Netanyahu is a very um, clever uh, political operative, also, and um, you know you don't you never know with Israelis until they go into the polls because to the to the voting booth because the polls always are wrong. Right. Um, someone speculated, I saw an article, that um, that one of the reasons Bibi insists that Gantz come along on this trip, it gives him more of a chance in the long run to form a unity government. Do you agree with that? Yes. And the unity government might be the only way he stays as prime minister, based on what you just said, if in fact the left is stronger than we think they are. <laughs> that he could stay in even on an interim arrangement? Right. Uh, yes. Unbelievable. All right, uh, I want to talk about Iran and Lebanon. We'll start with Iran. Uh, we know what happened there in terms of the uh, action against um, uh, U.S. forces. They, they uh, When the United States uh, went ahead and took action, uh, the Iranians came out with statements as if uh, they were ready to retaliate to, to the point uh, uh, you know, where, they would, um, uh, where, where the U.S. would be at its mercy. Uh, they didn't exactly uh, respond in that manner, though. What could you tell us about that uh, altercation between the Iran and the United States? Well, for, uh, uh, first of all, the strike did wound about a dozen American soldiers. In initial, hello. Yeah, yeah. The initial reports, you know, indicated that uh, you know that, that they hit empty buildings. Right. It's not so. Uh, and if you read the statements coming from Khamenei and Rouhani and others over the last uh, day or so, they are boasting about the effectiveness. And supposedly, these missiles really were pretty accurate, like the ones that hit Saudi Arabia, um, the oil fields, they they um, they proved their accuracy. Uh, although, the uh, as you point out, the, the limited response indicates that Iran is not anxious to take on the United States, not capable of taking on the United States in an all-out uh, conflict. The United States is adding more and more sanctions, both to individuals and to the government. It's having a tremendous impact. Um, the resentment in Iraq against Iran is is continuing, and we see demonstrations, and there's still demonstrations going on, even though they don't get reported very much. Um, and the, the the elimination of Soleimani was a huge blow to them, and and a blow. I, I spoke to people in South America. Um, it's a blow to the Hezbollah operations there because he he was central to all of this, uh, and and not really. You know, replaceable. They can name a successor, but it doesn't mean he really replaces uh, him. The um, so Iran did what it felt it had to do. Um, we've seen now the documentation that came out from stuff that was taken by Israel in the raid in Tehran, but just released that shows that back in 2002 they already talk about the uh, building a nuclear weapon and their plans, and that it was underway then. The um, um, and they, they're boasting about crushing the U.S. at the uh-huh. base. Uh, it shows that they're trying to satisfy those in, inside the country who had demanded more or wanted to see them take a stronger stand or 
not to have the image of uh, an attack like this and doesn't get resp- uh, the response because Soleimani was uh, such a key figure and a cultural icon. Uh, but, you know, we're concerned because the sunset clause for the U.S. U.N. arms embargo in Iran is going to uh, it takes place in October, meaning that that it's over unless renewed. That means the Russians, the Chinese, and others are all going to run in and and um, uh, try to sell them weapons. And that the um, that uh, that in 2023, the restrictions on the advanced centrifuges, the missile uh, restrictions, all go away as well. And you know, remember when people adopted and they said, "Oh, it's eight years. It's uh, you know, you have plenty of time." The administration and others kept saying, "And you see how fast it's a blink of an eye yep. that you're now already facing the the uh, end of the of some of these re- restrictions." So um, the, the 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 situation with Iran has not diminished in any way. They continue to to um, uh, attack the Europeans for activating the dispute mechanism and saying they're going to pull out completely from JCPOA. The economic conditions in the country are terrible. Demonstrations against the government continue, and uh, and it's imperative that the Western government support them and that the Europeans finally come to the table and say, you know, that, that acknowledge that Iran has been in total violation of the agreement and that they impose sanctions as well. Uh, and in Lebanon, the protests that were going on there, I mean, it sounded like from the news reports that I saw that the protests were in response to the fact that there's no government now in Lebanon. But, uh, I mean, I was always under the impression that the terror groups had controlled the government even when it was in office in Lebanon. Is that not the case? Well, Hezbollah, uh, you know, today is an integral part of the government. Uh, one could say even more than that. And the president, uh, though a Christian, is under his uh, control and re- resignation of Hariri and the failure to, for so long to get a replacement. And uh, and I think that a protests against the government are really protests against the continuing Hezbollah uh, presence. And there are obviously demonstrators who then come out supportive of, of Hezbollah, who can turn them on and off and who control a good part of the South and, and the, uh, are a dominant, an increasingly dominant figure with a weak Lebanese government. So the, 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 um, uh, but the situation of unrest continues. It's, it's clearly uh, very serious. And the uh, people, you know, it gets so little coverage uh, that when these demonstrations uh, turned violent, I think there were 400 people treated for physical injuries after the demonstrations in Beirut uh, this past weekend. So um, uh, people are saying, look, they're coming to, the, to, to a period of, of chaos and no solution really on the horizon. They, they, I think the value of the Lebanese currency fell by half in just three or four months. And people are prevented from getting their savings and employers stop paying salaries and there's medicine is shortages in the hospitals uh, because of the situation there. Wow. Uh, Malcolm, when the IDF announced that they're constructing these underground uh, networks of sensors along the Lebanese uh, border uh, to detect, you know, any type of tunnel building, does that already exist down south? Is that something that Israel implemented a while ago, or is there a reason why it's more of of, um, a concern up north than than down south? Do they have those type of sensors along the Gaza border? They do, and they have, but they built also the fence, which goes down and up and um, has sensors built in. I actually saw it 
I was taken to see the it's a, it's, the design is secret, but we were taken there uh, to the conference to see it, and it's so impressive. Uh, but remember, the topography is completely different. Here you're dealing mm-hmm. with sand and, and dirt on the Gaza border. There you're dealing with mountains and with um, a terrain that's totally different. So it's often hard to detect when they start uh, drilling. So now they're putting in sensors that can detect early on the drilling. As you know, the the tunnels that were were discovered were so sophisticated. You know, some were three stories high. You know, where they had to drill into the mountain, they built steps inside and going up uh, the inside of the mountain. So the question was raised all along: Why? Why don't you detect this early on? Well, how could they do all that heavy-duty drilling? You know, into a mountain and not have been detected. So this will give them an earlier warning system. There's always the fear that the um, that the Hezbollah and Iran and et cetera are are they want to build new tunnels. Israel has said this week that they don't think there are any new ones, but there were seven or eight that were closed and very sophisticated. If you remember, they poured cement into the tunnel and it came out way across the border into Lebanon. Right. I remember that. Um, finally, <laughs> when, when I'm asked by more than one person during a typical week a specific question they'd like me to ask you, I generally try to ask you because it represents that there are a lot of people curious about it. Uh, the question this week to wrap up, people want to know, are you paying little attention or a tremendous amount of attention to what's going on this week in the United States Senate? Honestly, I pay minimal attention to it. I have listened. I want to know basically what's going on, but I'm not interested in the three, four-hour presentations or two-hour presentations on either side. Um, I think this is, uh, you know, it, it's it's a very critical issue. It, can, it affects American society as a whole, uh, but I'm not a, a, a I'm not an impeachment groupie. I know there are people who sit in front of the TV all day watching this whole thing, and um, but that's not me. <laughs> I hear that, <laughs> and I don't have time for it, and I I certainly don't have the patience uh, to sit there. I don't know how I see that the members of the Senate are also getting very impatient. They're passing notes. They're doing other things according to reports that have uh, emerged. So. That when when we have all these critical issues going on that are obviously of of great significance, and by the way, I don't know if you saw the story that Israel through Natan is putting up new hospitals in Gaza, that five thousand workers are coming from Gaza across, even though they're still doing some of the balloons, and Egypt has come down very um, hard on it, and Hamas had promised to end it, and they're holding them to account on it. But an interesting finding that in um, many of the areas along North Africa, from Egypt, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, the PA, Iraq, the appeal of the uh, Islamists, extreme Islamists, has dropped by about half, and also for religious leaders. And in Gaza, Hamas support has dropped from 45 to 24 percent. I think it's an important statement that we understand opportunities are to try and turn things around and not just say that this is inevitable, that these Islamists are going to win out. Right. Eventually, if people see that it's not in their interest, it doesn't mean that they're going to love Israel, love America, or anything else by it, but they are saying, we see that these guys don't have the answer. They offer simplistic solutions, but they're not answers to the problems. 
Phenomenal. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful show next week. Menachem, it was my pleasure, and have a great Shabbos. Menachem, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> what I, but have a great Shabbos, and um, look forward to talking to you next week. You're going to have to explain that one before candlelighting time. <laughs> Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Yeah, it could be. I, it could be. I may have figured out why he said that. 22 minutes after 8 o'clock, it's a JM the AM Friday on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Vaera.